0: This is Voicing Race, a new series of podcasts by Living Cities, a nonprofit working to achieve dramatically better results for low-income people, and particularly people of color. In this segment, host Shannon Jordy and her Living Cities colleagues, Nadia Awusu and Hafiza Omar, share highlights of their recent conversations with a select group of mayors and city diversity and inclusion officers, working on Living Cities' initiative called Racial Equity Here. It is catalyzing new ways for city mayors like Steve Adler of Austin and Diversity Officer Mary Stitt of Philadelphia to build local change from the ground up.
1: These are hard conversations to have and if somehow or another they get handled easily, you know you're doing it wrong. Uh, It needs to be hard conversations if you're going to actually change conditions and change systems.
2: Racial equity and discussions around race can be very uncomfortable, and you have to embrace that you have to get comfortable
0: with being uncomfortable. And now, here's your host, Shannon Jordy. Welcome. I'm Shannon Jordy, host of Voicing Race and a senior associate at Living Cities, a nonprofit working to get better outcomes for low-income people, particularly people of color. In this segment of Voicing Race, we're going to do a deep dive into how local communities are creating new ways to talk about race and affect change in their communities. I'm here with two of my Living Cities colleagues, Nadia Wusu, an assistant director at Living Cities, and Hafiza Omar, an associate. The three of us were in Austin, Texas twice this year, first for South by Southwest Interactive, where Nadia moderated a panel with Mayor Richard Berry of Albuquerque and Glenn Harris of the Government Alliance on Race and Equity. We went back to Austin about a month later for a day-long gathering of three mayors and other city staff who are participating in Racial Equity Here, a project that we at Living Cities and the Government Alliance on Race and Equity have created. We spoke in depth to these local leaders about their unique challenges and successes in tackling racial inequities. Welcome, Nadia and Fiza. Thanks for being here with me to talk about these new insights. Okay, so let's set up the problem here. Um, Nadia, you and I have talked in the past about the impetus for starting racial equity here in Living Cities. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: So after Freddie Gray's death in 2015, our board members wanted to set time aside during that meeting to think about what the ongoing issue with police brutality in our cities, particularly as they affect African-American men, meant and should mean for our work moving forward. Our board is made up of the heads of foundations and financial institutions um, want to improve outcomes for low-income people in U.S. cities, but most low-income people in U.S. cities are people of color. And so when you see this kind of thing happening, you really have to pause um, and ask, what are we going to do about this? What is the role of philanthropy? What is the role of financial institutions in addressing this issue? And so that really was the impetus um, for racial equity here. The board decided to convene a task force to design an initiative that would be able to take on systemic racism. And so what this looks like in practice is that we bring the cities, the the people who work in each of the city governments together a few times a year to share lessons, to share challenges, to talk about progress that they've made. Um, It's a way for them to really wrestle with these big questions together and also to sort of pick something up that's successful in
0: one city and think about how they can use it in their city. Interesting. And so when we talked to the mayors who are participating in racial equity here and their city staff, they brought up a lot of different problems from health inequities to income inequality. We actually talked to Dr. Brandi Kelly Pryor, who's director for the Center of Health Equity in Louisville, and she had some stark numbers when it came to race. Let's hear what she has to say.
3: Louisville, we have about a 16-year life expectancy difference, and much of those lines are drawn around race and wealth within our city. And so that is why the Center for Health Equity has been working strategically on this since 2010 and um, more significantly since receiving the Living Cities grant last year.
0: Antheza?
4: Yeah, and it's not just in Louisville, of course. Racial equity here is made of five cities, Philadelphia, Austin, Albuquerque, Grand Rapids, and Louisville. And these are all cities that's different in size, demographic, region, history, and politics. And like every city across the country, these five cities have seen racial inequities across all indicators for success. However, I do think each city has its own landscape of racial inequity, which is why it's important that we have to do this work at a local level.
0: And I know you talked to Mayor Bliss about that, and she specifically talked about the role of the economy. Here's Mayor Rosalind Bliss
5: of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our Michigan Civil Rights did an analysis of the economic impact of racial disparities on our community, and that report was striking and really showed in real numbers, hard data, hard facts, um, the deep disparities that existed. When I read that report, it was a real call to action that we need to do something about it as elected officials. And so when I ran for mayor, I talked a lot about racial equity and how it would be a core priority for me.
0: That's really interesting. I had talked to Glenn Harris of the Government Alliance on Race and Equity. He worked in Seattle as manager of the City of Seattle's Race and Social Justice Initiative. And uh, we discussed Seattle's catalyst for change. I was specifically interested in how Seattle moved from this very basic 101 level of talking about racial equity to more of a masterful 301 level. And he talked a little bit about how that occurred and discussed how community organizing was instrumental to it.
6: One of the core realities for most cities is that this has come about as a result of community organizing. Right. So even if it's not been community organizing that said this explicitly is what you should do, it's been community organizing that's created enough pressure that local government's looking for solutions. Using Seattle as an example, what really was the tipping point was a mayoral campaign. And I love telling this story because it is a (laughs) brilliant strategy. Community folks showed up to every mayoral debate and community folks would stand up and simply ask this. Thank you so much. I hear that you are completely passionate about transportation or policing or public safety or whatever the issue is. Love that you're passionate about transportation. Can you tell me what that has to do with racial equity? That's it. Just simply ask the question. And the thing that was really fascinating is by the time it got down to the final two candidates, both of them had actually gotten a little bit better at actually being able to answer that question because they knew it was coming. And so when uh, Mayor Nichols got elected into office, he came in and he said, I'm a white guy. Um, I really don't have a deep understanding of these issues, but I'm really clear that we have two cities in Seattle, not one. And we need to do something to address that reality. And so he created the Race and Social Justice Initiative, and the piece. To his credit, that I think was probably most important. And this is to your question about how do you get to 301. Was the sustainability question? He had come out of government. He had worked in government for years, and like Mayor Berry from Albuquerque, had a really pretty deep understanding of the structures of government. And so what he said was, this initiative is not going to be an advisory panel or a blue ribbon panel it is going to be responsible for figuring out how government employees center these questions in their work.
0: You're listening to Voicing Race, a podcast from Living Cities about race in America.
4: Yeah, that's so great to hear from Seattle, especially because communities often left out of this conversation. I also talked to Mayor Steve Adler from Austin. They've been working with their community stakeholders to work on this racial equity assessment for the city to make decisions.
1: We're trying to bring this to the attention not only of government but of our community as many different ways as we can all at the same time one on top of another so that it becomes real top of mind as as i came into mayor a couple years ago with a what we've called a spirit of east austin initiative where we focused on the eastern crescent of our city that had uh, historically been denied uh, attention and and resources and put together a, a large community process that involved people from all over the city With a common understanding that just as the sun rises in the east, so does the future of our city and our ability to be able to preserve what is special about the creativity and diversity and innovation that drives our city. Even while that was developing, we created an equity office in the city, uh, in part with the work that Living Cities uh, enabled for us. While everyone in every department should be thinking about their jobs through an equity lens, to actually have an advocate who wakes up every morning and goes to sleep every night, where that is the focus of their job, is something I think which was real important to the city.
0: So, you know, we talked before about where our racial equity here participants are sort of moving, how it's a cohort of five mayors and their city staff all working on racial equity. We wanted to hear from them where they thought they could have their biggest impact really systemically. And Mayor Barry of Albuquerque had this to say.
4: We have 6,000 city employees, have about a billion dollar operation. We're a big enough entity to see if a pilot or if an initiative will work, but yet we're more agile than state government. We're certainly more agile than federal government. So I think local government, mayors in particular, have a, a really important role to play on policy in the United States because we tend to be much less partisan than some of our colleagues and friends in Washington, even in state houses now. Our communities seem to allow us to be incubators and to be laboratories for change, and they'll let us try things that sometimes you can't try at other levels of government.
2: Nadia? that really is central to Living Cities' whole theory of change. We really believe even when the federal government is not working, that cities are places where you can make meaningful change and demonstrate what policies work, can move the needle on poverty and inequality and connect people to opportunities in in so many ways. And I think that Mayor Steve Adler of Austin said something about cities being close to these issues and and public expectations for change. And, And so maybe we can listen to that.
1: Well, you know, I'm a firm believer that, uh, that most of the really good and important things that are happening in the world today are happening at the local government level. Uh, and I think the reason for that is that people expect their local government to actually perform, to actually do things that have impact on the quality of their lives. You know, all too often, the government at the federal level, and sometimes even at the state level, seems to be polarized, and people feel frustrated that perhaps not as much is happening as they would expect. But at the local government level, people expect things to to happen. So I think that local governments are best positioned to deal with the issues of racial equity, of institutional racism, of systemic inequities because it is closest to those issues and can most immediately and quickly respond with real action.
0: You're listening to Voicing Race, a podcast from Living Cities about race in America. Yeah, so both in the South by Southwest panel and then my conversations with Mayor Barry and Glenn Harris of the Government Alliance on Race and Equity, I was really surprised at how candid they both were in talking about these issues and how articulate they were about systemic and institutional change. And I think that really reflects the work that the Government Alliance on Race and Equity and the Racial Equity Here initiative has done to educate and uh, bring up the, the level of conversation with these five cities. Nadia? It's really about working with local leaders to recognize
2: that government has, in many ways, created the inequities in their cities, and therefore, government has the ability and has the resources to transform uh, systems to create better outcomes for low-income people. And, And just hearing the fluency with which the teams were talking about this was really inspiring and made me believe that change can really happen. You know, there's been a lot of movement around changing the way they hire, changing the way they contract, um, all of those things can have huge impacts on low-income people and people of color.
0: This is Shannon Jordy, and you're listening to Voicing Race from Living Cities. Uh, So yeah, I really love what Glenn of the Government Alliance on Race and Equity said in that regard too. So here's how he explained it.
6: I deeply believe that city government, by its nature, has to be practical you have to actually be able to show that what you're doing is having some kind of impact. And people are right there with you. There's no, I say this today, and I don't have to see you for a year. You know what I mean? Um, And so in that way, it requires a level of sort of practicality that makes it much more likely to to occur locally than even at the, the state level, right? My experience has been, you take the most complicated issues, you know, you take thinking about criminal justice issues, thinking about um, transgender restaurants. And if you take a group of people who are disparate and sit them in a room to say we need a solution that actually works for everyone, most people can figure that out in an hour. When we get real concrete about what it is that we're looking for, it's suddenly the rhetoric and the politics of it quickly Fall to the side because the solutions frequently are not nearly as complicated as the debate.
0: (laughs) Nadia?
2: That's really interesting, although it's not always the most sexy work because it's really about changing how institutions work from the inside out. And so it's a lot of paperwork, it's a lot of policy writing, it's sort of employee surveys, um, but all of that is aimed at getting past incremental change to systemic change because you really have to fundamentally change institutions.
0: Yeah, and I think Mayor Bliss of Grand Rapids, uh, another mayor that we interviewed in Austin, had something really powerful to say about systemic and structural change and what she and the city are doing to increase both diversity and equity. And this is an important point to make because it's not just about diversity. It's really about bringing everyone up and not numbers.
5: You know, my belief is first you have to look in the mirror. You have to look within your own organization. And then you have to look at what you can do collectively as a community to create change. So, one thing that I get the opportunity to do as mayor is I get to appoint individuals to boards and commissions. So, early on, when I started serving as mayor, I looked at an analysis of all of the representation on all of our boards and commissions where there's significant disparities in representation. And so, one of my goals was that every single board and commission should reflect the community that we serve. Last year, we took a fresh look at how we uh, seek out individuals to serve on boards and commissions. We looked at our application process. I went out into the community and actively recruited individuals to apply to serve on boards and commissions. Last year, by doing that, we saw a 500% increase in applications and saw an increase in more women being appointed to boards and commissions and more individuals from our African-American and Hispanic community being appointed. So again, that's putting people into positions of power to help create policies that impact our community. You're listening to Voicing Race, a podcast from Living Cities about race in
0: America. Anfisa?
4: Yeah, and these five cities are different in so many different ways. Each city is focusing on different aspects of their local government and municipal operations. So for example, In Philly, the trade unions are actually shaping the conversation around racial equity. I know that Philly is partnering with the local trade unions to diversify their membership through its rebuilt project, which is a project to renovate city owned property. Jobs come from family and connections and networks and when you see the trade unions in philly it's not very diverse which means that some of these jobs are not getting to communities of color and i talked to mary stitt at the office of diversity and inclusion in philly and she talks more about what philly is doing
2: we have found that there is a lack of minority Um, membership in the building trades and we really are working actually closely with the building trades themselves to start building pathways to that membership so that communities and families that are headed by minorities can be, um, you know, can be sustained and they can have different career options
0: other than just, you know, the ones that are out there now. Nadia?
2: Yeah, what's interesting about what's happening um, in Philly with the trade unions is that um, there is this acknowledgement across the country that we need to think about jobs differently. We need to think about training for jobs differently. Trades have always been an opportunity for folks who maybe are not going to college or are looking to to have careers that are sort of the non-traditional careers and that those jobs have historically, as you said, been passed down because of connections or because of who you know. And giving low-income people and people of color access um, to those opportunities um, is a really exciting thing as we think about what is it going to take to connect low-income people to opportunity.
0: So Dr. Pryor at the Center for Health Equity in Louisville, uh, she talked about that, uh, specifically the approach around social justice and youth
3: in the community we're organizing right now around young people so we're making sure that young people can have a voice by building a racial equity youth council youth primarily in urban areas, and talking about the structural, not only racism, but the violence and oppression that young people might have faced. How do they negotiate that? Not only do we want to have youth at the table, we want to make sure that we're working in partnership with youth, not creating policies for them, not creating the action plan for them, but with them. And we know that we have resources and power as city government. We know that young people in our city They need youth jobs, and so we thought about this a little bit differently. What if we were to pay young people to go through a process of not only being trained in this racial equity work, but also to work strategically with us to negotiate what are some action steps and plans that we can do to create better outcomes as it relates to particularly 16 through 24 disconnected young people um, who don't normally have a say at any table. We are also beyond just engaging these young people, we want to engage other youth development organizations. We want to say, we've got young people that can train you as well as the other young people in your organization. Let's do some co-facilitation, let's do some co-defining of these issues so that we can create better outcomes overall for young people because they're who are going to sustain our cities into the future.
0: You're listening to Voicing Race, a podcast from Living Cities about race in America. So one of the things that I noticed in that interview and really all of the interviews that we did in Austin is how specific the mayors and city staff were about their work and how candid they were. I was really curious though, so there's political will, but what is the communication like with the public? Is there public buy-in? Is there an appetite there? So yeah, maybe Nadia, you have thoughts on that? Yeah. um, I think in most cases, you know, this was
2: an application process. Um, cities actually applied to be part of this cohort. And in many cases, the catalyst for the cities starting to think about race and equity was actually the community. It really is important that cities are communicating with their residents and that they are fluent and equipped to have these really complicated conversations about race and equity with their communities. And and this is really serving to shift the relationship between citizens and government, which is so important right now. We really need to in this country see the the civic engagement reinvigorated particularly in the in the current political climate and and this sort of process where cities are listening to communities and actually changing the way they work is really important and fact that the cities are on the record saying we care about race and equity, even if not everything that they do is going to be perfect, even if they're going to make mistakes, even if the communities don't completely agree with everything that they're doing, the fact that they're on the record about these issues actually means that community can hold their elected officials accountable.
4: Yeah, I think that's so important, Nadia, um, because I I think a lot of the cities, these staff and the racial equity here core teams don't want to just be part of the cohort for the sake of like having racial equity here on their website. That was why I was so excited to be talking to Dr. Pryor from Louisville, where they really focused on equity and the need for the community to understand what the goals are for this effort.
0: Here's Dr. Brandi Kelly-Pryor, who is the director of the Center for Health Equity in Louisville.
3: One of the ways that we have normalized this conversation around structural and institutional racism has been through our health equity reports, which started in 2011, and mapping the city, showing geographically where these differences, and disaggregating those differences um, largely by race in the city. We brought 100 citizens together to talk about how do we actually build policies, our programs, or start conversations about what we need to change to build racial healing within this city. Out of that, there came an action plan, seven priority areas that community wanted the Center for Health Equity to really push forward, um, and we call it our Repair Initiative. Our repair initiative is what has grounded this work that we're doing today. And so one of the ways in which we're normalizing it is training all 6,000 employees within our city government around what does it mean to have structural and institutional racism. We started the conversation around implicit bias, but we know that we need to expand it to talk about structural and institutional bias and racism within their work. Another way that we're organizing and reaching out beyond just having our core team is having racial equity liaisons within the city. Nadia?
2: This is really important to the way that living cities work. And and one of the reasons that we were so excited about working with the Government Alliance on Race and Equity is that they actually have a larger cohort of cities that are working on racial equity and inclusion Um, that includes about 100 cities that they're working with in different ways. But the work that the cities in racial equity here are doing actually has the possibility to spread to those other cities and the racial equity here cities can learn from the broader network. And so that's really exciting to us because it means that we're really changing how local governments work across the country.
0: And I remember that uh, Dr. Pryor was really happy about that. This cohort model is amazing of cities.
3: Um, When Austin is creating a chief equity officer, the rest of us, we're not jealous of the, I mean, some of us might be jealous of like, wow, you moved that fast. But we're encouraged and we're really thinking about like, wow, we can take now this best practice back to our city councils and our city governments and say, look at what this amazing Um, economically and socially and politically developed city is doing.
0: So I think what we're hearing is that in the fight for racial equity, uh, there are a few things that are really, really important. Community engagement is key. And we also heard from the mayors and city staff how important it is for cities to do this work as catalyst for change. We learned that either if it's service provision on the ground or employment or procurement. There's a lot of ways to tackle inequities. And thankfully, uh, we have a lot of tools and resources that can help cities who want to start this kind of work. Mayor Bliss of Grand Rapids really said it best.
5: The nice thing is, is that the Government Alliance on Race and Equity and Living Cities, they have a lot of resources that are available. They have information on their website. They have information about the racial equity toolkit. They have access to webinars. So there's a, a rich network of support out there if you look for it. That's what I did. When I was elected as mayor, I knew that this would be a priority to me, but quite frankly, I had no idea what the roadmap was. And I would tell that to people. I I would say openly during my campaign, this is an important issue. I don't have the solution, but I'm going to be committed to trying to figure it out with you as a community. And having the experts from the Government Alliance on Race and Equity and Living Cities and the Racial Equity Here cohort to help me grow as an individual and leader and to help me figure out where do I even start has been truly uh, a blessing. You know, as mayor, sometimes you, you feel isolated and you feel like you're alone. And I know that I'm not alone in this work. Nadia?
2: So it's been really um, fascinating and inspiring to hear about how um, the participants in racial equity here are driving this change within their local governments. But I also want to be really transparent that we at Living Cities are also um, internally struggling with how to communicate about race, how to talk to each other, how to have the difficult conversations that it takes to really change how we work. And one of the things that we've learned from, from racial equity here is that All institutions are complicit in creating racial inequities. And so all institutions, no matter whether you're philanthropy or government or a financial institution, have to hold the mirror up to ourselves and say, how do we need to change to create better outcomes? And especially an organization like ours that is about better outcomes for low income people. We really have to get better about this. That's what we at Living Cities are doing. We're really trying to take our own medicine in a way. um, And as we're supporting cities in this journey, um, also going on this journey ourselves. And so we have a lot to learn, which is why we're so excited to be working with these great cities. and, And we look forward to sharing more about our journey.
0: I'm going to leave our listeners with that thought. I want to thank Nadia and Hafiza for joining me today. And I also want to thank Glenn Harris of the Government Alliance on Race and Equity and Mayors Barry, Bliss and Adler and all of our participants and interviewees during South by Southwest and the racial equity here convening in April. For Living Cities, I'm Shannon Jordy. Thank you for listening.